Hallelujah, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Reading this gospel reading appointed for this Sunday with our family this past week, it's always interesting when we ask questions of them about what the girls pick up. We read it first and we ask them what they hear, and then later start asking them questions about the gospel reading. And one thing they really picked up on, the younger ones, is this situation in which the disciples were gathered. I asked them what was going on, and they said they were in a locked room. So St. John records for us, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews. So here they were. The doors were locked, and they were afraid. Now, our girls didn't know the deep theological ramifications of that, or maybe they did. I don't know. Give them credit. But here, is, here are the disciples. They saw Jesus arrested. Some of them saw him go before the high priest. They saw, John saw him firsthand hanging on the cross, and he saw with his own two eyes Jesus give up his spirit. The soldier thrust the spear into his side. Blood and water come rushing out. All of them would have known Jesus had died. Earlier that morning, Peter and John ran to the tomb. And you remember, John outran Peter. And they spoke with Mary Magdalene. So many things. So with all of that, then, that evening, our reading begins on Easter evening. Here they are in this room, locked, afraid. Now, sin has a way of doing that, doesn't it? Being known in our lives in this way. Losing the image of God and the fall into sin, we've lost that right knowledge, that right fear, that right trust in God. And we have a will that is bound in sin and captive to it, turned away from God, turned away from the good, seeking after our own desires rather than desiring the things of God. And we see that here in a number of ways with the disciples. The first way is that most obvious one that hits us right from the get-go, fear. Being afraid of the Jews is wrong. They're more concerned about people than they are about God. Jesus had been crucified, and he's risen from the dead. Think about that for a minute. It's the same day he had risen from the dead, and here they are, physically risen from the dead, and they're fearing the Jews. Now, last week on Easter Sunday, we heard in that epistle reading about how if Christ has been raised from the dead, and he most certainly is, then that changes everything. Jesus, rising bodily from his grave, after having been crucified by the Jews, who urged his death and even claimed responsibility for it, remember John's gospel tells us, his blood be upon us. Now they're fearing them? I mean, really? Are they seriously fearing these people when Jesus has risen from the dead? So even if they're sitting here and the Jews were to burst in, break the locks and the doors, bind them all up, take them, torture them, publicly make a spectacle of them and kill them, they haven't done anything. Because Jesus has destroyed death by his death, and he is risen from the grave. They can only hurt their bodies. But fear is a powerful thing. Fear makes us blind to the things of the words of God. 
So rather than seeing with the eyes of faith, trusting what God says, like in John's gospel when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Which, by the way, Jesus says to one of Lazarus' sisters, do you believe this? Right after he says that. Rather than trusting those words, we close our ears and we think, the Jews might kill us. Or we can insert any number of things, all leading to the conclusion well, we might die. So here they are, locked in a room, afraid. Rather than confessing in their life and conversation that Jesus is Lord and God, just as he is risen from the dead. That first Easter Sunday saw that at first. And then later, as they gather again, there's Thomas. Oh, Thomas, really? I mean, really? You won't believe the word of God? And the eyewitness testimony of your apostolic brothers that Jesus has risen from your dead, they literally told you, we've seen the Lord. Really? You want to believe by what your eyes see and what your hands can touch? How far does that get you in life? Well, it gets you doubting the resurrection of the dead, that's for sure. But Thomas still said, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So not trusting God's word and wanting to find Jesus apart from the promises spoken to us, we do the same. We all know the situation in our lives or the lives of people we know. We make demands of God. Unless you cause this to happen in my my life, Lord, I will not believe. Or something happens, then I'm done with you, God, because you did not operate in the way that I wanted you to do. I'm done with your things. I'm done with your word. I'm done with your church. And really, I'm better off for it. I know better. We try to be in the driver's seat and think we're the ones calling the shots. It happens when we refuse to take God as at his word. It goes back to the Garden of Eden. Did God really say... He promises us that baptism saves. He commands us to not neglect gathering together. He promises he is present in the Lord's Supper for our forgiveness, life, and salvation. He preaches to us about what our faith in him is and is not. He warns us the dangers of living in unrepentant sin, rejecting all or parts of his word, or just simply snubbing our noses up in the direction of his church. God says all of this, but sin answers this by not hearing, or flat out rejecting what the word of God says as spoken in the scriptures and as preached to us by those ministers sent to proclaim the word of God to us. Thomas didn't believe the word. He didn't believe the word of his apostolic brothers. So in all of this then, on this Sunday, we always give Thomas a hard time, but we give the disciples a hard time as well. But it's always a convicting thing because no, they are not that different than us in terms of our sinful condition. And there's a struggle that we have in this life. St. Paul talks about it in Romans 7 as well, when he talks about that struggle that he had. We see this struggle that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our Christian life is a life of crucifying the old self, the sinful self, and arising to live in the new life given to us. Our spirit has been created anew by God and does seek the things of God. It wants those things. It desires those things. It loves those things. It listens to what God says. It knows what God says. 
wants our lives and conversations to be in accord with God's word. But there's that old Adam, as Luther says in the large catechism, still hanging around our neck, drawing us down, wanting our word to silence God's word, wanting our lives to live in fear so that we can control then our lives by locking ourselves in a room and think we've got things covered, we're safe, and wants to be making the demands in terms of God and think we're the reasonable one who understands this world better than God and that how we should live in it and live according to our ways rather than God who seems so distant, so antiquated, and just whatever. That's the struggle each and every single day that we have so far as we are in this life. So as baptized people of God, God calls you not to just put that out of sight. He doesn't call you just to look at it and say, oh, that's bad. He calls you to crucify the sinful self. Kill it. And it's done by not listening to those things which try to take you from the Lord and his word. You don't live your life by those things around you. So each time those things come up, turn them off. Plug your ears to those voices and close your eyes to those images. Examine yourself and know what tempts you and avoid those things. Don't go running headlong into them. And in place of that, replace it with prayer, reading the Bible, singing great hymns, surrounding yourself with godly Christian people, and go running to the word and sacraments to give you strength. Go running to Christ. Drown that old man who, as Luther was quick to say, is a good swimmer, and rise to the new life you have been given in your baptism. Repent. See your sin. Know what you deserve. Cling instead to the one who has delivered you from this body of death and puts your sin away as he has taken it onto himself, Jesus Christ. So with all of this then, this situation, you see there's something which Jesus does say in the gospel reading today. He says it first to the apostles gathered there without Thomas, and he says it again when Thomas is gathered again, which, by the way, they locked the doors again, if you didn't catch that. A word is spoken by the Lord in response to these things. Jesus says this word. He says, peace be with you. So the mercy of God is so great that even despite these apostles sitting in this place, in this state, Jesus comes and speaks a word of peace. And that word peace is a very important word in the New Testament, connected to the Old Testament as well. Peace is a word of reconciliation between two parties. It's connected with the atonement. It's a word of forgiveness. So Jesus speaks to them as only he can because he's the one who has atoned for, his, for their sins. They see his wounds, after all, the marks of our atonement. And here he is now risen from the grave, which proclaims to them that he has done it, that the Lord has counted the sacrifice, and they stand righteous before God. So when Jesus says, peace be with you, he also gives that word of peace. He's not just simply saying, going among them and with a calming word like, guys, it'll be okay, calm down. No, it's a word of, I know your fear, I know your doubt, I know your weak fallen flesh that you guys are acting like a bunch of babies on the Easter Sunday, and my answer to you is that I am the one who has taken all of your iniquities upon myself. By my stripes, you see these things, you're healed. I forgive you all of your sins. So be a good courage. 
Take confidence in what I give. Cling to me, who gives you all that I have done. And see, I give you this new life in return, for I am risen from the dead. Rest easy, I've done it. It's finished. And that's what Jesus says to you today, and every time you gather in this place. As you're here right now, and so many things are going on, you are tempted by the devil, the fallen flesh, and the fallen world. You're tempted to fear, to doubt, and demand, but Jesus says to you, peace be with you. And what he does is he silences all those things as he forgives you your sins, and he points you to those wounds which have paid the price that you owe. And you behold him crucified for you, and you see him risen from the dead and know that baptized into Christ, you have eternal life. And he is the first fruits of them that sleep, that you will rise from your grave as well. It's no surprise then that Jesus sends out the apostles to speak that same word, to deliver that same peace. The office of the ministry, pastors do the same today as the Lord has sent these men to you. I mentioned, I think, every year that those John 20, that's the words read at ordinations of pastors. That's the charge. We're under orders to do those things. Ordination means under orders, ordained by God to deliver that peace. That's the Easter joy and purpose you're gathered here today. Because only Jesus can give you peace, real peace, forgiveness, life. And when he gives it, it's free and full. And you're here today because you need the peace of Jesus. The Lord's church is the church of peace. That's our business. It's the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. And you have this right now and throughout this whole service as Jesus and his salvation is given to you through the word and sacraments. When you go home today, take your bulletin with you and circle how many times just in the liturgy the word peace is used. Just do it. It's really interesting and fun to do. It's no coincidence, too, that after the words of institution, consecrating the elements for the Lord's Supper, what does the pastor say? Come and get it, guys. No, he holds it up, the body of Christ. And he holds it before you and says, the peace of the Lord be with you always. He sings that. Why? Here's Christ. Here's his peace given and shed for you. And so it's going to be a while before we're back here in our sanctuary again going to look a lot different. There's a lot of work to be done, as you can see outside right now and around us. If you haven't noticed, we have a nice mud pit now. So if anybody, well, I don't know what you do with the mud pit. I don't want to know what you do with a mud pit. Oh boy, I didn't think about that one. It's going to be a while before we receive this peace of Christ in this location right here. But you know what? The Lord knows this too, and he's still faithful. As a congregation, we've endured a cross to bear in this storm. It's been something, and there's still a long way to go. Just kind of as a side note, we, the, the seminary magazine for the Fort Wayne Seminary is called For the Life of the World. And we got it in the mail the other day, and I opened it up, and there's a picture of our stained glass window in there. That stained glass window, and there's my face there too as well. And it's something kind of completely unrelated, but it was just talking about how we had a derecho, which they put in quotes as opposed that that must not be a real thing. It's a real thing. (laughs) It was better, though, than when in the Lutheran Witness a few months ago, when there was a whole article by President Harrison that talked about the mental health of pastors, and my face was plastered there by the caption that said, Pastor, are you okay? (laughs) That happened. (laughs) 
That's what happens when you're a pastor in the synod. Your picture is fair game for anything, I guess. But we still have a long way to go. And as we hear God's word today and we take into our mouths his true body and his blood given and shed for us, that same body and blood that appeared before Thomas and the disciples, we have that peace to go forward and endure the times of inconvenience, the times of headache, lost sleep, backaches from moving, and a, gen- a general time of trial that no one wanted. That wonderful couple who got married here yesterday to- evening didn't plan on all of this happening. But this is the Easter season. Every Sunday is a little Easter. And Jesus is risen from the dead. That's what we have. So we cling all the more tightly to Christ who feeds us today. And next week, the same Jesus will feed us just as he does today. The location and time may change, but the Lord and his peace will still be the same. So in something we learn in all of this, too, is the consolation of the brethren. The Small Called Articles talks about this. Our brothers and sisters in Christ at Van Horn at St. Andrew are helping us ease our burden, bearing that with us, comforting us with what they can do so that we can have a reverent, holy place to receive Christ and his peace. So as we keep that in focus and as we look to those things and know that the church of God is known and sustained by God's holy word and sacraments, rather than grumble, complain, bicker, and whatever else our fallen flesh tries to do, which we would never do, I know, it silences it and we look to Christ. And we'll be at peace because the Lord's church is still his. He will give you his word. He will feed you with his body and blood. He will pronounce to you that your sins are forgiven. He will point you to the glory to come, which he has won for you, a day when there is no more construction. So that's what lies ahead. And that's the peace Jesus promises you have all along the way, however long it may be. Now, St. John closes this whole account with words we do well to take to heart as we consider who we are in this world right now and what we have in Christ. He wrote, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of, his, of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So God's word is yours today. And did you catch what you have? Blessed are you hearing and believing these words of the risen Lord. You have life. So the old man is silenced. The voice of God proclaims loud and bold, and you stand forgiven, a new creation in his sight. So Jesus stands in your midst, working, and he says clearly and with all boldness to you, peace be with you. Amen.